today is a conclusion in several ways. It's a conclusion to summer. It's a conclusion to a 13-week series that we've been journeying through together through the book Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Today we're talking about the spiritual discipline of celebration. But I don't want you to think for one moment that celebration is a discipline. Celebration is a result of all the other disciplines. If you want to have a barometer in which to gauge how well you've journeyed this summer through the other spiritual disciplines, then the amount of celebration in your life is a good barometer of that. Because you cannot manufacture the foundation of celebration. You can manufacture celebration. You, you can jump up and down, scream and shout. You can act a fool. I mean, you can do that. You can, you can look. People will think you're celebrating tremendously. But you can't manufacture the foundation of genuine celebration because that foundation is joy. And for all of you in the room who are trying to produce your own joy, you know how impossible that is. So the foundation of celebration is joy. That comes from Jesus but it also comes from positioning ourselves in a way through the other spiritual disciplines to be transformed by him. The final paragraph of Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, the very last paragraph says this, and I just want to read it and then we'll pray and dive in. When you have journeyed and seen that meditation, that was the first of the spiritual disciplines we studied, meditation heightens our spiritual sensitivity, which in turn leads us into prayer. We just want more of God. Soon you will discover that prayer has fasting, the third of our disciplines, as a beautiful partner. And those of you who tried, you know that you can't fast without praying. They go very well together. Having journeyed through these three disciplines, we can effectively move into study, which gives us discernment about ourselves and the world in which we live. Through the discipline of simplicity, We live with others well and in integrity. Solitude allows us to be genuinely present with all people. Submission lets us live our lives free of the need for manipulation. And service, that discipline allows us to be a blessing to all people. Confession frees us from ourselves and the sin that binds us which releases us to worship. Worship opens the door to guidance, the discipline from last week. And all the disciplines practiced together bring forth celebration. Bring forth rejoicing. Bring forth praise because all the disciplines, when practiced together, position us in a place to be transformed by God. And hallelujah, that's all I want. Let him work in you. God, come and work in us. Come and reveal yourself to us. May we examine our lives in light of who you are. May we be a people who are full of joy. And from that joy comes celebration and praise. Comes a life dictated by the things that this world pursues with everything in them, yet cannot find, because they're not looking in you. God, may we find them in you. May you be our true joy. May you be our cause for celebration. 
May you be our strength and our sustenance. May you be our Lord. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, celebration does require joy. It is its foundation. Joy is something that we chase after yet rarely find. And here's why we chase after it. That's why I use that term. The world packages happiness or joy. I think they're similar. I know you can say there's some differences, but let's just use them synonymously today. The world packages happiness and joy perfectly. Any marketing majors in here know that the goal of a good marketing advertising ploy is to make people think, I need that to be complete. I need that to be happy. I need whatever you're selling me so that I will be full of this joy that I'm chasing after. The problem is Coors Light doesn't do that. They spend millions of dollars to make you believe that it will, but it just comes up short every single time. So we have in our heads this goal, happiness, joy, We chase after it, and when we realize it doesn't come in simple things, we think, well, then it must come in bigger things. So we begin to go, if I just had a bigger house in the better neighborhood, if I just had a boat, man, it feels like, it seems like people with boats are happy. Maybe I need a boat. If I just had a job that paid more than $12 an hour, then I would be happy, because $14 an hour seems so much better. If I just had a better spouse, if I just went to another church, if I just hadn't made that one decision, it's elusive this joy and this happiness that we spend all of our waking hours pursuing, it's elusive. And we struggle to find it because we think all of these things will bring us joy. But we're looking in the wrong places. Jesus would say this, joy is found in obedience. Now, those of you who jumped ahead of me, I just said something you weren't expecting. You expected me to say, joy is found in the Lord. That's what you you finished it in your mind, I bet, before I said the word obedience. Jesus teaches that joy is found in the Lord. We've heard that. Joy is found in the Lord. This has caused me to change the way I look at joy. Just that one twist Joy is found in obedience. Jesus says it in this, Luke eleven twenty seven 27 and 28. Jesus was talking, saying these things. A woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Blessed is Mary, because she has you as a son. That makes her legit. That makes her favored by God. Jesus replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God, and obey it. Switch the table. Blessed, fulfilled, joyous. Those who hear the word of God and obey it. 
You would say, but I know that God is my joy. I, I get that. So I would say to those of you who say that God is my joy, where is it then? Where is it all over your face? Where is it in the way you live your life and raise your kids? If you know that truth, where is it? Why does it not show more? It doesn't show because we've been taught to believe this. God is our joy. Jesus is our Lord and our strength. And in him we find our joy because in our moments of weakness, he will infuse us with the joy necessary to overcome our current misery. That's what we've been taught. If I'm struggling, not a big deal, because in my moments of struggle, God is my joy. He will infuse me with just enough joy to overcome my current misery. I don't necessarily think that's the way it works, and the reason I don't think that's the way it works is because that's not the way it plays out in my life. Now, there are times, there are momentary occasions where when we are in need of desperate joy, when we are at rock bottom, I think God will intervene and he will infuse us with just a little bit of hope so that we don't just cash it all in. I, I do think he works that way. He is gracious in that way. But that's not his desire. What God wants to do is transform our misery. Not just mask over it with some superficial joy. He wants to transform our misery. And the way he will do that is by calling us to be obedient to him. And he will transform the habits. He will transform our everyday life that causes the misery. Here's what I mean. God makes it pretty clear that lying is not a good idea. You shouldn't lie. You should, not, you should just speak truth. How often have you lied out of necessity? You're busted, you're caught, you, you don't want to cause any more hurt, so you lie. You lie to keep the peace. You lie to make sure that you save face. You lie to perpetuate your joy. Yet, what happens in result of that is more misery because you are not obedient to what God says. All right, let's, let's take it a step further. Um, has anyone ever tried to make themselves more happy? Has anyone ever sought joy in what I'll just call the flesh? Guys, have, have you ever let your eyes gaze in such a way, we would call it lust, that you are trying to make yourselves joy-filled at the expense of a beautiful daughter? Have you ever done that to just realize that it didn't produce any more joy, it produced actually misery? Well, what Jesus would say is, I don't want to give you enough joy to overcome that sin. I want to transform that sin. I want to take your habits and I want to reconcile them and I want to restore them and I want to do things differently in your life so that that's not how you live and in not living that way, I won't have to just cover over your multitude of sins with a sprinkling of joy. You'll live a holy and righteous life. When the power of the resurrected Jesus reaches into our work, into our play, into the very way that we do life, 
And he redeems those things by bringing a subject not only to him, but to his word. When he redeems our sinful nature and our sinful habits, there will be joy in our lives where there was once mourning. To overlook this idea, to think that God is just a sprinkler of joy dust and not a reconciler of man, is to miss the very incarnation. If God just sat in heaven and sprinkled joy, then why did he come to earth? There was no need for that. He doesn't just infuse enough happiness to bypass our misery. He wants to get down into the dirty parts of our lives and reconcile them, restore them, transform us. And in doing so, part of the incarnation is he came and he did just that to redeem us. And in being redeemed, the gospel says that we will find life and find it to the full. I think the byproduct of that is joy. So Todd, can, can we be joyful always? Like, what, Is that the goal, to be joyful always? Well, Paul says that all Christ's followers should be joyful always and pray continually. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5. But I don't think that's a literal statement because we can't literally pray always. Physically impossible. And I believe the same would be true for joyfulness. We can't always be joyful. But I think we can do a lot better job And Paul tells us how in Philippians 4. We'll spend the rest of our time there. Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. He tells us how to get closer to this joy-filled life. And he starts it in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. First little bit of a joy-filled life is to be kind and gentle with others. Why? Because the Lord is near. That seems obscure. Here's what I think Paul is saying. God will handle the unruly and the joy stealers in your life. Those men and women who are in your life, whether they are very close or very far, the ones who rob your joy, the ones who are unruly, your job is not to go in and change them. God will handle them. The Lord is near. Your job is to be gentle and kind to them. Don't get all worked up over mean people. That's step one of living a joy-filled life. Now, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, present your requests before God. Now, I intentionally read that whole verse quickly. I normally would have stopped after the first phrase. Do not be anxious about anything. I think most of you are familiar with that concept. I also think most of you struggle like crazy with it. Anxiety and worry. We think it's because we're broken, and partly that is true. But it's far much more a product of our culture. We ingrain anxiety and worry into our kids from the time they're old enough to walk. My three-year-old son can ride a bike pretty well. We have him ride in a circle at the top of our driveway, 300 miles from the road. 
We live in a cul-de-sac. There are six cars a day that drive on our road. But from the time he was old enough to go outside, what did we tell him as good parents? That car up there that's two and a half miles away, it will kill you. If you step foot in the road and there is a car two miles away, it will veer down and it will kill you. So here's your helmet. My son is terrified of cars. I, put, I picked him up at daycare and put him in the parking lot, and there was a car at the end of the parking lot that was coming, and he's like, Dad! I mean, he just, we need to teach you perception of fear. <laughs> I, we just instill from a very young age that every person you come in contact with is a murderer or is going to harm you in some way. The only people you can trust are mommy, daddy, and doctors. You know, like we, we say that. Our culture is so concerned and so worried and so crippled by fear that we've just allowed it to permeate our lives and it, and it becomes normal. Yet God says, don't be anxious about anything. And here's why he says that. The negative side of rejoicing the opposite of celebration is anxiety. It, they're completely exclusive. You cannot rejoice, you cannot be full of celebration, and you can't for sure be full of joy if you're full of worry and anxiety. They just cannot coexist. So God provides us a way through that. He, the positive side of celebration and of rejoicing is that by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, we can bring every single thing we worry about before God who can actually do something about it. I mean, have you ever thought of that? Jesus says it in Matthew 6, how silly it is to worry about our daily stuff because look at God, he takes care of everything. Have you really ever sat down and thought about how silly it is to worry when we have a God who at least I think most of us believe is sovereign and almighty and all-knowing and so much better than us, and he says, here's what I want you to do. It's not just like, oh, I'll let you do this. It's like, here's what I want you to do. Every single thing you need, just lay it before me. Every worry, every fear, every anxiety, with prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, joyfully say, here, I don't want it anymore. You take it. You're God. You do something with it. I'm just going to stop worrying about it. He provides for us a way of doing that. The spirit of celebration will not be in us until we learn to be anxious about nothing. I think the way that we do this, church, is there is a practical side to this. I'm going to give you three things, okay? Three quick things to try to get to this place of less worry. Less worry. The first thing is you need to understand your total dependence upon God. I know we would say that, but do we live that? Do we live in such a way that our stuff is really his stuff because we're totally dependent on him? Our kids are really his kids because we're totally dependent on him. Our career is really his life because he's given it to us as, an, as a gift, so we sacrifice it back to him. Are we really living in such a way that we have a total dependence upon God? Because if you do, 
and it's genuine, there's not much you're going to worry about because he's got it. He's God. The second thing is to realize that prayer moves the hand of God. When you get it, church, and I'm not there. Please hear me. I'm not there. When you get that God moves when we pray. God responds when we ask. When you get that, oh, buddy, it opens you up to fear nothing because the sovereign creator of the universe will respond to our requests and our petitions. At Summit, we say this, God is in control and Jesus is enough. It's a core DNA value that we have that we want to live our lives by, knowing that God is in control, we're not, and even when stuff happens, it's all good because we have Jesus. He's enough. Without him, this would be impossible, but with him, it's good. I have all I need. I have him. Those two steps will provide a very great foundation for living a carefree and anxiety-free life, but they alone will not produce joy. Philippians 4, verse 8, tells us how we will finally find that joy. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul says that in order to produce joy in our life, we need to consume ourselves and our thoughts with the good things. We need to fill our lives with the simple good things that constantly thank God. We need to see that in this, thank you God for our food. In this, thank you God for this provision. In this, thank you God for our joy, for our peace, for our patience. For kind of, Thank you God for all of these things. Thank you for everything that is praiseworthy, that is pure, that is lovely, that is admirable. I thank you God for these things. When we do that, there will be a joy that comes as produced by it. And our problems, they'll seem to be swallowed up. They won't disappear, but they'll just seem less immense when we determine to focus on all the good and excellent things in our life. Guys, I, I just want you to hear this. The joy of the Lord that is our strength will produce in us celebration. As Nick comes back up here, I, I need you to get this. We need to be a people that are marked by celebration. We need to be a church that does not look sad and stagnant and devoid of life. It really just shouldn't be for those who are in Christ. Yet unfortunately, a lot of the time it is. I mean, do you know how often we worry? This, just think about it. Just think about this morning, the times you've worried. Literally, literally today, I, I worried because I'm in between haircuts and I got this rooster thing going on back here. <laughs> I spent five minutes in the mirror just like, oh no. We just worry about stupid stuff. But we don't have to. 
I want you to look for the celebration in your life. If you're void of it, if you're void of just genuine praise and, and happiness and what the Bible would call doxology, just spontaneously breaking out in praise because of how good God is, if you're void of that, then I want you to look at where you're finding your joy. And if you're not finding your joy in obedience, but instead you're finding your joy in pursuing things of this world, it's, it's no wonder that there's no celebration. But if you're finding your joy in trying to align your life with the Word and, and by being obedient, letting God come in and, and redeem and, and save and reconcile you, then you're on the right path. We are to be a people of celebration because we are God's people. We've got Him. We don't need anything else. Today as we respond to this, I, I, I want it to be very simple. Our prayer team will come here and they're going to be standing up front and there's this beautiful passage in 1 Peter that says, cast your worries, cast your anxieties, cast your burdens. The Greek word means all those things. Cast your burdens upon him because he cares. And then in Philippians 4, we saw that the way that we relieve ourselves of these burdens is that through prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, we present our requests before God. And we skipped verse 7, but do you know what it says? When we do that, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will come upon you. Today I'm offering you an exchange. Worry and anxiety for peace. Who's in? Who's in? Come up here and let our prayer team and our pastors just, just pray that for you. Come up and lay your burdens and your anxieties before God. Whatever it is that you're carrying, just lay it down. Why? Because he cares for you and doesn't want you to carry him, and he's way stinking better at carrying him anyway than you are. Just let's pray for you so that we will be a people that are marked by celebration. We'll be a people that are marked by abundant, full life. Let that happen. Don't be ashamed. We're all broken. So God, in the name of Jesus, as we respond to you, as we respond to your word, may your peace that transcends all understanding be our goal. May your joy be our strength. May the obedience that we seek to live by produce in us joy that will be marked by celebration. But God, right now, right now, in the name of Jesus, give us the power and the strength necessary to come and to lay our burdens down because you care. You care. You care for us. God, may those in the room today who are running from you because they don't believe that you care, may they feel your immense love today as your glory just dwells in this place. May they see that you care and may they stop carrying the burdens alone. God, whatever it is, may we lay it down before you for your glory and for your name. It's in that name we pray. Amen.